0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, licensed marriage and family therapist and outreach counselor for the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. We are here to offer a compass for navigating the development of self, partnerships, parenting, and the general network of connections you build across a lifetime. Welcome. Today we will be diving into the world of parenting and developing your parenting toolkit. Parenthood is a challenging time filled with both joy, love, and connection, as well as fear, pressure, and a heightened sense of a responsibility. Sometimes it is difficult to know what to do, especially with millions of experts out there all with a different solution that only may work some of the time, if at all. Joining me to talk about how to navigate this trying time and emerge with our sanity intact, I have Amanda Armbruster of Take A Break Tots. For the last decade, Amanda has worked with young children and their families as a teacher, graduate student, licensed professional counselor, and now in her own home as a mom. Amanda started Take A Break Tots to bring information about child development, behavior, discipline, and social emotional intervention from the clinical world to the average household and classroom. She strives to help caregivers support the social and emotional development of the young children in their lives. Amanda provides lots of free information and personal parenting stories on her Instagram page and blog. Through consultations, Amanda provides personalized behavior and discipline plans that meet the needs of the whole family. Welcome, Amanda. So Amanda, I want to start with just letting you kind of tell your story, how you came to kind of love working with kids and want to help parents. And just how did your journey all come together and bring you to this point with Take a Break Tots?
1: Well, I mean, I think I could talk all day about it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, my parents were divorced when I was little. And you know, the challenges of that were were tough. You know, it was great. My parents did a wonderful job. I love them. Um, but life was hard. And I, I've always wanted to help people. And I thought I would do that you know, I wanted to be a lawyer. I thought I would do it that way. And then that was kind of crazy and not realize like, nope, that's not how you do that. So anyway, I looked into going back to graduate school for counseling and I got a job as a preschool teacher and just fell in love with kids. And I knew I wanted to help kids and I'm trying to paraphrase kind of a long saga. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I just think that kids are, are, fascinating. And I think they're amazing. And I think development is so cool. And I've learned so much just over the last 15, 20 years in counseling and in teaching and all that good stuff. So I wanted to become a children's therapist to provide a space for young kiddos to process that tough stuff, you know, whether it be a divorce, whether it be you know, anxiety, ADHD, we've worked with kids on the spectrum, autism spectrum, um, and everything, OCD, all the things that can affect young children. You know, we think, gosh, I've never met, you know, a child that's depressed. It's like, well, they're out there. And, um, I wanted to be a person for those kiddos and to also, and then, by working with kids, you're working with parents. And so that was, that was kind of a secondary, like, oh, that was a surprise. Um, But I loved it. I really love working with these wonderful parents who love their children deeply and dearly, but have no idea (laughs) how to handle it. Um, Because there are no perfect books. You know, there are thousands and millions of parenting books out there, but not one that is perfectly for your child. Um, And that's again, kind of why I started Take a Break Tots one of the many reasons just to take all of this information we've got and to talk to the parent who is the expert on their child or the teacher who's an expert on their classroom and apply the development, the behavior management, the social emotional intervention, and really marry that together into a discipline and and, and behavior plan that works for everybody um, because then you have one child who may be your quote unquote problem child. we call that the identified patient um you know the lingo, but but the family is a unit and the way that the interactions between everybody in the family go influence how happy everybody is, you know, how everybody's feeling. So it's not necessarily there. there's usually somebody who kind of inspires you know, the phone call to the to me, to the counseling center. But really, it's a whole dynamic. It's a family dynamic. It's a system. So we've got to make it work for everybody. And um, so that's, you know a pretty big reason why I started this to just help parents find something that actually works for them and to translate what they've read in a book that maybe resonated with them, but that they have no idea how to apply that to real life. You know, I understand that behavior is information, but what do I do with that? You know, how do I move forward? How do I speak to my child about that? And how do I, you know, manage these tough situations that come up with our young kiddos?
0: Yes, a hundred percent. I, I've heard so many times parenting referred to as being on the battlefield or being in a war and not that it's like bloody and I mean it can be it can be bloody and messy and all <laughs> those things of course um <laughs> with all the things kids get into but really it's just that it's in the moment and it's it's about flexibility and it's about having to like you don't know what's going to come at you at any given moment and so that's kind of what I think of when I hear that and I think that's why parenting books pose such a problem, you know, you're bringing your unique personality, your unique you know, window of tolerance, we call it, what you can take before you kind of flip your lid and your emotions are in control and you're not able to do the things that your book is telling you to do. And I used air quotes for your book is telling you to do. Yeah. And and your child, each child is unique. You know, something I talk to parents about a lot as a clinician is that each child will follow their own rules and you are going to have a different relationship with them. You're parenting these children in the same exact way it is not the same exact way because each child is born into a different family um, your relationship with your spouse looks different with each child your your first child the only child that will be an only child they are the only one that will get your 100% divided attention and all the expectations that come along with it you know the children after that are going to not get as much one-on-one attention and the household is going to look different it's going to structure differently the the rhythm of it is going to probably get a lot faster and messier and more chaotic. You know, there's just a lot of things. And so each child and parent and situation is so unique and each family is so unique. And I think that's where we get stuck. So how do we allow for flexibility and understanding in our parenting style? You know, again, I feel like I
1: just don't have that blanket answer. You know, it just depends on, you've got to just kind of see it for what it is. You know, you can, we've all dreamed of our families you know we dreamed of what our future would look like and then you get there and it may look different and you can sit in that and be disappointed and keep trying to make that dream reality or you can take a step back take a deep breath and look at what you've got right in front of you um I love what you said parenting is such a battlefield it is you know we have to do so much on the fly you can plan all you want but then you know the shoes don't fit anymore and you're everybody's falling apart you know you have to really be be on your toes and every and be have your responses be almost instinctual. But at the same time, we have no time to think about, we have no time to think about it in the moment, but also we've not prepared ourselves because we didn't know who our child was going to come out and be. Um, and so, and we don't have the time to like, oh, maybe take a week long vacation and think about what I know about you and what I want to be as a parent and put that all together. And then I'll come back and we'll start the parenting. It's like, no, you're you're having to live it. <laughs> as you're learning it. And it's really hard.
0: Although I'm sure a lot of moms out there listening, probably dads too, would really like that one week vacation <laughs> to recenter all of us. sign me up. I will go with you. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should have like a week long
1: moms or, you know, parenting seminar and everybody come and we just like study your, your kids and you go back. I don't know who will find to take care of the children, but that'd be fun. But that's again, why I started this business, because I felt like you know, we're all out there trying to do the best we can. And, and you're just lost. You can Google, you can read who has time to read podcasts are great. You know, you can clean your house and make school lunches and listen to your podcast and get some good info. But how does that apply to your life? And how do you want to use that in a tough moment with your child? And it's hard. I know we all want, we all want, you know, that quick fix. We want five easy tips to get your child to behave. We want we live in an on-demand world where we literally can have anything we want. You can you can read that list of five easy steps, but it's not necessarily going to work for you. And, you know, I hope it does. It'd be great. But it's just a little bit harder than that. It's really complex. Our kids are not just these little blobs that come out and we shape them and, and create and, and mold them into who we want them to be. They come out with their own personality. Um, and while you were asking that question, it reminds me like, most of my consultations I do with the parents, if they've especially if they've got children of the same sex, if they've got two boys or two girls or they're you're automatically gonna assume they're gonna be kind of similar. And so when they're very different and you're having to parent in very different ways for these two kids, it's hard. Um you're like, but y'all are supposed to be y'all are cut from the same cloth. You're supposed to be um, you know, I thought I had this down, but you know, each child is going to need their own parenting. And that's, again, really, really complicated. And sometimes it's easier for parents who have kiddos of of a different sex, just because you're automatically thinking, oh, there's some difference between genders, but you know, we're learning that's not necessarily true.
0: That actually always killed me with the boy mom, because I'm a girl mom. I have girls. And People would hashtag boy mom if their boys did something, you know, made a mess or like we're in the dirt. And I'm like, my daughter's in the dirt all the time. I don't know what you people are talking about. That's not a boy thing. <laughs> it used to kill me. But um, yeah, no, it's it is hard. And I think even. There are definitely techniques that work, but they're, like you said, it's so complicated. I was thinking as you're talking, I was like, yes, and we're going to get into this in a little later. The approach I use is going to work so much differently than if I am trying to throw that approach out there in this anxious, like, oh my God, I got to deal with this situation and then go over here and deal, you know, it's just, there's, there's, like I said, the family's different. The kids are different. The approach you pick at any moment is different. The way they're going to respond to that approach is there. It is very That's why it's a battlefield. That's why it's in the moment. What is going to work right now? And what do I have the time to provide? Like you said, I love everything is different.
1: Exactly. Each moment is so different. And I've had parents still reach out like, okay, my child hits. What do I do about that? And it's like, well, how old are they? When are they hitting? Why are they hitting? You know, we've got to get to the meat of it. There's, you know, hitting is not There's no, again, there's no one size fits all response to hitting people. Are they trying to get your attention? Are they upset? Are they angry? You know, are they trying to communicate? What are they trying to communicate? with that and then let's work with that so yeah every every situation is different
0: so along those lines there's a big difference and you kind of just mentioned that uh, there's a big difference in parenting a two-year-old versus a three-year-old versus a five-year-old versus continue on down the path what are important things to know about child development and understand and how do we meet each child where they are
1: you know development is not linear i think that's the biggest thing to remember that just because you know you know, some of it is, you know, we want them to sit and then they crawl and then they walk and then they run. But especially as they get into some of those more cognitive skills, communication skills, sometimes they're going to regress. It's more like a roller coaster. Um, You know, they're going to go forward and they're going to loop back and revisit that at this new stage of development when their brain is, you know, has these new connections and new experiences. And so I think that's important to remember that just because your child is potty trained, you know, certain, you know, they may go through a developmental leap and have a regression and that's okay. That sometimes they're not going to follow perfectly. And I think, you know, your pediatrician's office, your preschool should have some checklists that are guidelines. You know, it's not, again, it's not hard and fast. Like some kids are going to, are going to hop with two feet by age two and some may do it at two years, four months, you know, who knows? Um, That's okay. There's wiggle room there. And it is tricky with different kids at different ages. And I think really what I do with with my kids, and I think what works is I, I speak to them like I speak to an adult, but I pare it down you know, a little bit more simply and I'm much more direct. And so with your two-year-old, you use a couple of words. With your five-year-old, you may use a longer sentence. And I think it's important to meet certain milestones before we push them too far. I was watching some reality TV show and the mom had her five-year-olds doing second grade math workbooks. And they thought, no they're not meant to do that. They need to do one-to-one correspondence and, and, you know, play their education at this. That's how they learn is through play. We don't need to be doing workbooks quite yet. So follow those age
0: guidelines a little bit on those
1: activity books and and puzzles and things. But
0: yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It's so funny how hard it is for us as adults to understand the concept of play and the value of it. It just, when we see people playing, we just think they're like adults because adults are supposed to play too. Like all of us are wired for experiential, you know, interactions. And when we see adults that maybe, you know, could during work hours are playing, we have judgment about them and we do it with our kids too. And it's so funny how Different the mindset is when I go and sit with my five year old and do intentional play and let her direct the play. Uh, She wanted to play with her hatchimals, which is if you don't know what hatchimals are, don't don't Mm -hmm. even worry about it. She's got like two hundred, (laughs) but but she, I sat with her and I played with them. We talked about all the cute little different features and where each one lived because she has little landscapes for each of them. And after that, asking her to accomplish tasks or you know. Getting her to pay attention, like we read a book after that, and she followed along the story and and knew people's names that I was shocked that she knew. And there's just such a important aspect of play for kids' brains and how they regulate. Absolutely, and
1: connection. They have to feel that connection with you to you know do anything. You know, a child is not going to do anything for you if they don't feel cared for by you. And we show up in their play and and being there, being present with them. That's how we fill them up and. It's not just, you know, being side by side while you cook dinner and she does her homework, you know, that's not really connecting. It's one-on-one, it's eye contact, it's, you know, devoted, undivided attention and play. That's when they feel it the most. Absolutely. And then, gosh, I mean, if you fill them up that way, I listened to a podcast yesterday, Brene Brown, who I absolutely love and adore. And she had doctors, John and Julie Gottman, who are relationship. And you know, it's an emotional love. It's an emotional bank account. It's that you have to make deposits into that bank account. And then, you know, as the day goes on, you know, little credits are taken out, you know, we have a frustration we have, but if your bank account's full, you got, you got plenty or plenty to give away, but if it's feeling drained and empty and you haven't invested in that with your kiddo, they're going to have a really hard time across all domains, you know, whether it's at school or behavioral at home. Yeah, we have to fill them up in that way that they need it and play. Absolutely. Another thing about like development, and I think we get kind of caught up in as parents, myself included, you know, I have a three-year-old who's very verbal. He is able to communicate so much, but sometimes the words are lost because of an emotional flood that takes over. He's frustrated. He can't get the words out. Then that's even more frustrating. And we have this full fall apart meltdown or he hits or something. It's because, you know, he, he knows the words, he knows the words he's supposed to use, but he can't access them. So that's important to remember too, that even a five-year-old, just because usually they're so good at verbalizing how they're feeling or what's going on, they can't always um, because of that brain development that they get flooded with the emotion and it blocks off that logic and they can't get there. I think that's important to remember too. We have these like quote unquote, I'm quoting mature kiddos who still have these fall apart moments and it can be kind of upsetting for parents, but that's all still really typical because their brains are new.
0: (laughs) They're still growing. Yes. And that frontal lobe to regulate, it's just not there. The last thing when they're 25. 25 is the earliest. Exactly.
1: It's not even, we're not even finished after that. So, and it doesn't mean they're incapable, but it just means we have to give a little bit of grace when they get off when they flip their lid, when they get off the rails.
0: Absolutely. My husband and I talk about this a lot. And I talk about this um, with clients too, because when we talk about tantrums and managing tantrums and managing outbursts or words or my child's six, they should, and I'm like, well, you just told me last week about this fight with your husband, where you just totally lost it and said all these things that you swore you would never say to them. That's kind of the same thing. You have a little more regulation. So your tantrums come out a little differently and a little less often. But that's the same idea. Your emotions, your limbic system is is the gatekeeper. And when it is triggered, it is going to take over. And why do we expect different from our children?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like I can't be held accountable all the time. So, how can I expect this little being who's brand
0: new on earth who feels everything so intensely? Exactly. And the other thing that's so interesting, and this I didn't learn until much later, but empathy. So, a lot of us will talk to our kids and be like, doesn't that make you feel bad? You hurt them. But what I learned later, you know, later in my career is that empathy doesn't even start to develop till age five. you are a different person and what you feel and what I feel can be compatible. That's not even there yet. And so when my husband and I talk about parenting after the fact, after something has happened and one of us has responded and we're exploring our our responses, we do not do this all the time. It's it's a rare, beautiful moment we have as parents, just for you parents, you're doing just fine out there. Um, But we'll talk about, oh, they don't get that. That word I use that. How do you think they felt? She had no idea. She could not for one second, put herself there. And we do that a lot. Or, you know, this is the way I think, because my cognitive abilities are so complex. And I said it in this way, but my child couldn't keep up. So I like, you know, use less words, speak to them on their level. And we get lost in recognizing sometimes that they do not see things and experience things the way we do at this point as adults. That's super important perspective. They don't have it.
1: <laughs> they can't, they don't have insight into what others are thinking and feeling. They are completely egocentric for a long time. And that's, they're always going to be thinking selfishly always, you know? And so when you come at them, and you think, how did that, how do you think that made her feel? All they're feeling is shame that you don't understand how hurt I was. Who cares about her? I was hurt, you know? they don't, they don't get that. You know, that's just not the information you're given in the hospital. (laughs) When you're, whenever you greet your new baby, you know, there's no, and here's the development guidebook and here's the discipline guidebook for max. My, that's my son's name. Like there's no, you don't get that. It's complicated. <laughs> of course, you're just doing the best you can. And we parent the, again, you're kind of all of a sudden you have this baby, you focus on like keeping them alive, that newborn phase, you take the newborn care class and you know how to swaddle, but you don't know how to manage a tantrum. Um, and again, we're already in on the battlefield in the muck and you know, shots are firing and you're having to like read and figure out how to like deflect it and how to manage this. It's just it's impossible. It's so impossible.
0: If you are in the battlefields, let's say, let's use this metaphor. There's going to be minds out there. How do we avoid as parents, the minds, what are the biggest minds out there and how do we navigate around them? And, and what have you seen and experienced yourself as a parent navigating these mine minds? You know, so much is about
1: me um, and how I'm feeling. And, you know, I think kids are going to be kids kids are going to have tantrums they're going to hit they're going to be disappointed they're going to have these big blow-ups they're going to have times of over excitement you know on the other end of the spectrum they'll be happy um you know all these things that just you never know and so much depends on how I'm feeling that day so how I handle it and I think we emailed about this You're, you're going to step on a mine every once in a while you know and maybe that day you're wearing your bulletproof vest you know and you're in a good mood and you've taken care of yourself and you're you know, you've eaten breakfast and you've had your coffee you know, you're, you're really feeling good. And so you can brush it off. But then there are the days where you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel for any ounce of patience. And those are the days that you're going to take the hardest hit and you may not, you know, handle it very well. And that's going to be okay. Like you said, like it, I, I'm certainly not perfect. There are days where, Ooh, you know, I say some things and I think like, Oh, how did that even come out of my mouth? Um, and so You know, the minds are coming, they're out there and you can't really, you can try to avoid them, but eventually you're going to hit one. I think some big things we can do for our kids is again, getting to know them and to see, you know, you can see that, that, that frustration build, you can see that grumpy attitude, you know, you can see there, the dark circles are a little bit tired, maybe they're not feeling well. And those are the days where you can try to head it off a little bit. Hey, I noticed you're feeling a little bit frustrated. Oh shucks! And you start to buck up. I mean, that's when you you put your vest on and you think, okay, something's coming, and I'm going to get ready for that. It's so hard to talk about it in general terms because you know I can think of 800 examples of why what what kind of mind it might be, you know, um, and eight different examples of how to approach it. So the minds are coming, you're ready, but so much is about you know self care and taking that big breath, Uh, and that may be where we're getting into the toolkit. You know, I think so much of the toolkit is how are you going to handle the moment? What do you, what can we make instinctual for you when you face that explosion, when it's coming, take a deep breath, take a break. Remember,
0: don't take it personally. I have this memory of my oldest who's five now and she was, I want to say she was two and a half or three and I was trying to get her dressed and my husband was working late. So I was on my own. And she was a disaster. And it was really out of character, but I was so stressed trying to get us out the door because I'm always late to everything. And it's like a joke in my family and I hate it. And so yeah. I'm that like added stress of like, we are going to be so late, put your dress on, you know, and just losing it, just so angry with her. And the next day, she woke up with a fever and she had strep throat. And It's taken me a few times, but when her behavior gets like that, when she is not moving in rhythm with me in her normal rhythm, that usually means she's getting sick. Like that usually means she is not feeling great and cannot verbalize it to me yet. And I've learned that over the years, but that's kind of what you're talking about, that getting to know, like really knowing. And then that mom guilt, what do we do with that? Because that next day when she woke up sick, I was so upset with myself. I called my mom and told her how bad of a mom I am. And I was... You know, we just beat ourselves up so bad. And now I'll do a repair and I'll, you know, this morning I got frustrated with my daughter and I said, I am so sorry. That had nothing to do with you. That was all mommy. Mommy was stressed and mommy reacted you poorly. You did nothing wrong. And I want you to know that. And she, she, it took her a second to understand how I could do something or be mad at her when it wasn't her fault, you know, but that repair is so valuable. And afterwards she gave me a hug and said, I love you, mommy. And that's so wonderful. But that's how I've been able to deal with this mom guilt. How can we, A, create situations where we're more on B, can you kind of talk about what repairs are and, um, see how are they valuable?
1: Yeah. So you will never be on all the time. We've got to let that go. Oh my gosh. Um, Especially in a pandemic. Um, I think we've all learned that, you know, we've all learned that, you know, oh my gosh, anything can happen. Um, But we've got to, I think all of our tolerances have just been like lowered so much because of the added stress. It's, it's really stressful. And, you know, I think we're all feeling a little bit more hopeful now, but we're still in it. And so Give yourself a lot of grace, especially this year and last year. You're never going to always be on. And I wish I had, you know, a magic pill that we could all take that would increase our energy and stamina and patience. But truly, it is about taking care of yourself. And I think people laugh, you know, when you say self-care, they're like, you know, who's got time for that? Like, absolutely. I get it. I got two kids and I work and I got a husband who works and a household, you know, all the things, but you have to take care of yourself. You need to exercise. You need to eat well. You have to take a step back and figure out, okay, how can I, how can I be my best self and find things that are manageable that you can do. You you have to, you are an important person. Speaking personally, um, I will put every, everybody else's needs before mine. It's just what we do. And, but I have to be better about that. And So I think that's really how you, you help when you feel fulfilled, when you feel your best, you'll be your best. It won't happen all the time. You can't, someone gets sick, you, you know, some baby's teething, you're up all night. It's just, they're going to be bad days and you're going to snap and then you're going to feel horrible about it. And I love your repair. I think there's nothing more important than that because we will make mistakes. We will never be perfect. We will yell. We will say something we don't mean to. We will snap. We will, we will do those things. It's just human nature. We will be pushed to our limit by our kids who know how to push our buttons to the extreme. <laughs> um, and so we will snap. And But then you come back from that and you say, whoa, I was really frustrated. I was having a hard time. And shucks, I yelled and I shouldn't have yelled. And I will try better next time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry if it scared you or if it made you feel yucky. And and then you talk about what they were doing that pushed your buttons. You know, you got to help them with that too. And you know that you can use your regular voice to ask me for a snack or whatever, whatever kind of set it off and really have that back and forth processing moment when everybody's calm. And usually that's at least 30 minutes to an hour after the blow up. Come back to it, relive it, process it and speak to the future that I will do better next time that's what we need to show our kids that we are human, that we make mistakes so that it's safe for them to be a human and to make mistakes too. Um, I think that has repercussions for, the best way for the future. It takes us off this pedestal, you know. I think in our generation, like I viewed my parents on this, pet- this pedestal, like they were always perfect, and so I have all these perfectionist tendencies. But I never saw them mess up. I I thought they knew everything. I thought they had all the answers, and then I became a grown up, and I was like, oh, y'all were just winging it, like I am now, like it's you know. Um, and so I want to teach my kids that, just because you know they're, we're, they fell from my tree, um, you know, I, if they've got those predispositions, I want to be sure to nurture that and be sure that they know that it's okay to not be perfect. You're going to mess up make mistakes. And I have to own that. I
0: th- it makes me think of, um, Carol Dweck. Are you familiar with her from Stanford? Yes. yes. Mindset. Okay. Yes. Growth versus fixed mindset. For those of you out there listening, find her Ted talk. It is life-changing that school that gives the grade of not yet that is in my mind all the time. And not yet is forever, forever. Because perfectionism Ever. is, perfection is not achievable. And so you're never going to be there. You're not there yet, but you're always working to improve. You're always growing. You're always learning. And I think that helps with the mom guilt too. Like we're always learning. We're always growing. We're growing into our role as a mom. It's going to look so different. My mom today looks so different and my relationship with her, it looks so different than it did. And, you know, of course it's also because I'm an adult now, but just the way she parents, cause she's still kind of parents, you know, when the way she addresses me, it looks so different than when I was younger because she grew into that role more and learned over time. And so I think that's such a big and important thing to take and to show our kids because that's what is connected to success. Right. And I think it's really important.
1: I've been thinking about this a lot, that like perfection is so subjective. My perfect is very different from your perfect. And so, you know, I could do all the things to meet my perfect standard and you could still look at me and judge me and be like, well, I, you didn't do that right. You know, and so what does it matter? <laughs> you know, do what you need to do. What feels good for you? What feels good for your family? You know, if you can lay your head down at night and think, okay, I did the best I could today. Great, you know, or maybe you lay your head down. night. Like, I didn't do the best I could today, but tomorrow's a new day and I can try better. I can. I can make these adjustments.
0: Yes, and I'll even guarantee you that on those days you didn't do the best you could, you can find one moment.
1: That's something I wanted to add to. You know, we we put all this pressure on ourselves, and we are gonna we are gonna flop. We're gonna have we're gonna be like, ooh, I did not handle that well. Oh my goodness! Or you're gonna question whether you did or not because there's your child's not printing out a receipt that says, okay, well done. This is gonna make me well adjusted, and or you know, you get an F for today, mommy. We don't get that feedback, so we don't really know. But our kids are gonna be okay at the end of the day if they know that they're loved, if they are cared for, if they're you know, they're clean, they're fed, they're healthy, they're in their beds. You know they are going to be fine. It's going to be okay. It's just hard. Life is hard. And so you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to have a smooth day ever (laughs) with kids. You have to have a structure and a routine, but you have to be flexible and kind of take
0: it as it comes. So let's talk about tools because you mentioned toolkit earlier. What various tools do you find to be the most helpful for parenting? What are the most versatile and which do you want to be careful with?
1: Yeah, I think like, you know, we said in the beginning, I wish I had those five Five tools for being the best parent you could be you know um it really depends on who you are and what you need but i think just some general ideas that i think are important to keep in mind are that your child's behavior is always a communication of something something missing a lagging skill they're communicating something it's not just a hit you know they're not just trying to hurt you um are trying to communicate something there. We mentioned that with hitting example earlier that are they hitting? You know, my son, when he was like, what, a year old, I'd be buckling him in the car seat and he'd smack me in the face. Well, he wasn't trying to hurt me, but I would look at him and then he'd light up. You know, he wanted my attention. So I need to provide him Say, look, mommy, you know, give him start giving him some words to communicate that, or show him how to touch my face gently and turn it to look at him instead of smacking me, you know? Um, or if he's angry, then stomp your feet, hit this pillow, giving them something, the alternative. I like to think of it as, you know, we all have had sick kids. Your child wakes up with a fever. Um, that could be for a variety of different reasons. It could be strep throat, it could be an ear infection, it could be. A virus, and you're going to approach that illness in many different ways. You know, you're not for a virus, you're going to give some Tylenol and some TLC and hope they get better. If you're going to have a certain antibiotic, but this so the fever is just the symptom, it's just the, and, and then you have to look deeper to figure out what's behind that fever in order to really fix it. Because if they had strep throat, and you just gave them Tylenol, that wouldn't work. So, again, there's no one-size-fits-all response to the behavior, but there's always a communication. There's always something behind the behavior that we can get at and look at and manage. You know, my business is called Take a Break Tops. Taking a break, that is everybody's best tool. In the heat of the moment, it never hurts to say, hold on, let's come back to this. And everybody goes and chills out for a few minutes and then you come back. A lot of times we feel the need to respond immediately when our kids do something. We have to, you know, we have to discipline right away well, if we're angry or if we're trying to think on the fly in a moment that we've never faced before, or, you know, again, we're just having this knee jerk reaction. It's not necessarily going to be beautiful, especially if you're in, if you're heated, you're going to say, or do something that may not be the best. It may not be terrible, but it, you know, you may think I could have handled that better and it could have made the situation a little bit more productive. So go take a break. The child can take a break. You take a break calm your body. Um, That podcast that we we talked about, I think before we started recording with Brene Brown and um, Dr. John and Julie Gottman, it's not going to be productive. So taking a break and getting the brain to calm down, you know, to move out of that survival state, then we can really approach the situation with a clear head. And so can your child. So if your child's
0: stressed out, they can't learn. Stress hormone blocks learning. We don't have time for that in survival. We're, we have to be able to do the quickest thing. And so those things shut down. Yes. And for our kids, like we, discipline is teaching. Maybe I should have started with that. Discipline is teaching.
1: It's teaching the appropriate way, not teaching them what they've done wrong. We've gotten so caught up in that, that discipline needs to be punishment and consequences and to teach them that what they've done wrong. And, you know, I think I posted about this yes last week that they know they've messed up. When you're approaching them to discipline them, they're like, oh God, I did something wrong. So let's approach it in a teach in a, hey, you made a mistake. Next time, let's X, Y, and Z. Teaching them what is okay versus you hit your sister, no iPad later. None of that goes together. Losing the iPad and hitting my sister, nothing and all it's going to teach the child. They're going to go stew on how mean you are that you took away you know, their screen time later and not process the moment before. So- Hey, you got mad at your sister. She's not for hitting. You can call me for help. Walk away. You know, we give, we teach So That's the discipline. And I think a big one I'm going to borrow from conscious discipline. Dr. Becky Bailey is Q-tip. Quit taking it personally. (laughs) Our kids are not misbehaving or having a tantrum in order to make our lives difficult. There's always something behind it. It's not always about you. You know, it's, I posted about, you know, what if your kid says, I hate you. Don't take that personally. I know that's hard when they're saying, I hate you. Um, Of course, part of you is going to take that personally. But your child in that moment is trying to tell you, I'm hurting. And I'd feel safer if you were hurting too. So that I wasn't alone in this discomfort. So I'm going to bring you down here with me. But what we need to do is quit taking it personally. Take the big breath and bring them back to your safe zone of calm and and secure, um, which is acknowledging and validating that feeling that hey you're uncomfortable right now that's okay you're frustrated you're hurt oh that's hard but you are okay you are safe we have to teach them to deal and cope with those big emotions because that's life and if we don't teach them when they're little they will develop some inappropriate coping strategies later in life when they have access to things that are a little bit dangerous money cars drugs alcohol all that stuff to let them be frustrated over their blocks falling down. That's okay. Let them sit in that, acknowledge that and hope that be safe for them.
0: I love that. Q-tip. I've
1: never heard that. It's not mine. Dr. Becky Bailey with Conscious Discipline. She's just brilliant. Yeah. I a lot of it quit taking it personally. And she does the behavior as information. She does a lot of that. She's got a great book, um, Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline beautiful, beautiful stuff. You can follow them on Instagram too.
0: Yeah. I'll have to add those to my list, but I love that because it is, it's so important. You know, that's another thing my husband and I talk about is there are so many words. And I think our language, our language is so tied into this, like words like defiance. Like that's why I didn't want to use the word compliance earlier. Disrespect. Those are such personally triggering words. Like if somebody treats you disrespectfully, that puts such a fight response internally on us. And so relabeling the behavior, using better language, using language that's about your child and not about you. I think that's so valuable and important.
1: Labeling emotions. And another thing that Dr. Becky Bailey says too, is that nobody can make you mad without your permission. So they can push your buttons all day long, but those are your buttons. So you get to decide how you, you know, you've got to deal with that, your triggers and your thing. So what is disrespectful to you? Like, why is that such a disrespect to you? And that person doesn't necessarily know that, or if they do, then let's talk about that. There's always something behind behavior, adults, children. <laughs> everybody we are very bad at saying what we mean and what we feel um and so yeah you have to kind of dig a little deeper say what's your idea what do you mean by that um and again you know with the your child saying something like i hate you you know that's also part of development that they've moved from hitting you when they're angry to telling you i hate you using their words, which we've, you know, always begged our kids, use your words, use your words. Well, now they are, they're just the wrong words. So now we have to take the next step. Okay. You're mad. You can say X, Y, and Z. That's how we can talk about that. Um, saying, I hate, you know, you deal with that, but it's a part of, that's part of development too, that starting to use that verbal communication, that provocative language to express themselves That's a good thing in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's scary and hurtful. But again, it's up to you how you respond to that. It's up to you if you let the three year old saying, I hate you hurt your feelings.
0: Dan Siegel has a book called Parenting from the Inside Out. And I feel like that's exactly what they talk about. What are your triggers that you learned that were like, these are the big emotional feelings you got as a child around these different things? And what do we do with them? I
1: love that book. This is so much about the parent and the situation. Our kids live in a here and now, they are just being they are self selfish little beings moving through the world and they are having these visceral experiences and they're overwhelmed by all this newness and even you know even the same things you do all the time your child at age three age four age five they're seeing in a different way they're they're processing the information in a different way as their brains have developed and grown and so they just live in the here and now and so they're just being so your child is okay what they're doing is okay not fun but it's okay it's part of growing up it's you how you respond to that so if your child whining it just grates on you like okay well, what's that about you know I was always shut down when I whined as a child you know there's something deeper and I'm not you know trying to get all psychoanalytic on on you but your childhood and your experiences as a human are going to affect your parenting you're going to come out whether you're you know trying to do the opposite or trying to do the same whether it was good bad ugly whatever Your past influences your present and your future, and how you're going to raise your kids. So, you know, your own triggers again, so they can't be pushed without your permission. You can't, you won't blow up without kind of seeing what's being triggered in you.
0: You know, one of the things I have everyone doing that, that I work with because I just truly believe in it is mindfulness meditation, that ability to stop and tune in with yourself and check in with yourself and breathe. I was thinking about that, you know, take a break, Tots, take a break that you were talking about earlier, and how that's. That's what mindfulness meditation is for. It's a way to, in any moment, you you practice it so that at any moment you can take a break and re-regulate and calm down your limbic system, calm down those emotions and really be able to come back at it with access to those tools, with access to who your child is, instead of being stuck in these triggers we're talking about. I think Brene Brown says this a lot. Like
1: we are very good at numbing. We know we, we would rather not feel our feelings (laughs) or face our, our feelings, especially those yucky ones. And we do all kinds of things to avoid it. And that's, that's about self-preservation, you know, and that's, we're driven to protect ourselves and it's emotional too. So we have to be careful with that. I just, whenever I think of a mom taking a break, I imagine her like in her bathroom with the door closed. Like that's where the only place you can be alone. Um, not always. I know kids bust in all the time, but that's just what I pictured. But if you can go there in your head when you're in the middle of the throwdown battle with your kiddo, if you can take that mental break and, and try to do that there too, that's that's awesome. When you are calm, I think I said this before, you know, as your child's in this distressed state, they are scared. They're like, What is happening in my body? They are out of control. And so they'll push and push and push to make you feel yucky too, so that they're not alone in that, but also that only that comfort lasts like no time because then it's scary that now my grown up who's supposed to be in charge and supposed to know everything and supposed to keep me safe is now here with me in this unsafe, chaotic, you know, moment. And, and we're all panicking now. And so when we stay calm, when we can take that deep breath and say, Whoa, you're having a hard time. And we put on our bulletproof vest and we, you know, you know, a will of steel and just say, well, okay, I will stay calm. It brings your child to you. It brings you back down those mirror neurons for sure. And it's also, it's like, you know, when they're up here and we're down here, I'm using my hands they're in this heightened state, it's going to bring them down. If we go meet them in that heightened state, it's either going to drive it back up or everybody's just feeling yucky in this heightened state. And we release all these, you know, cortisol, the stress hormone, we're all feeling yucky. And then you feel gross the rest of the day. Like the come down from that is, is rough too. But if you can muster all that strength, take your big breath, keep yourself from blowing, you'll bring your child down faster. Your child will feel safe and know that those Yucky feelings are okay, that you know what they are, that it doesn't scare you, that you are in control. And then the meltdowns and the tantrums and the big stuff shorter, they become fewer and further between. That's what we want to get at. I think a lot of parents are trying to like tamp it out or, you know, we blow up with you calm down. it's, It's not helping.
0: Yeah. Heightened arousal is like a virus. It is.
1: Yeah. Be careful with that word's triggering.
0: (laughs) I'm just kidding, but no, but really it's
1: contagious. And, um, the whole brainchild by Dan Siegel and Tina Payne, Dr. Dan Siegel and Dr. Tina Payne Bryson is really great and talks about those mirror neurons and, and about that, that, you know, when and how we, as a family, all of our moods affect each other. So if mommy's in a bad mood guarantee everybody else is going to feel pretty yucky at some point throughout the day. Um, And so if you can get yourself under control, then it's going to spread.
0: How do we set ourselves up, our family up, our children up for success during heightened times like this?
1: You know, home is not necessarily a safe place all the time. So yeah, we, we, this has been a really hard year and I think we all just have to, right now, we have to just acknowledge that and see each other for how it's impacted us. You know, our kids too, we, we did a lot of talking about it in the beginning. We prepared that, you know, I did a lot of Instagram about that and like, it's kind of tapered off. And what we need to do is continue to talk about it, continue to remind ourselves that like, Hey, this still isn't normal. We still, it's still kind of stressful, even though we've kind of gotten used to it. I don't, I don't feel so good yet. And hopefully one day soon we'll be back to normal our kids my kids are so young you know I honestly don't even know if they will they remember not when I didn't wear a mask at the grocery store you know they haven't even been to the grocery store in a year and so we have to kind of speak to that that this is different even though they don't remember it's not natural it's still not a natural experience to be um, limited in our social gatherings and all that good stuff but so talking about it explaining like Remember, remember last year we used to, we went to the zoo and it was a little bit more free and that felt good. And now we're doing this and it doesn't feel so good or, and talking to them about how it's changed their home dynamic, you know, maybe somebody lost a job, you know, or everybody's working at home. I've had a lot of parents reach out about, you know, we've been working from home and now we're going back to work and my kids are struggling with separation anxiety. Let's talk about why you You probably just remember that, you know, mommy used to work at home. You would play downstairs and I would work upstairs and I could come check on you and I was just up and down the stairs and I was home and that felt safe. And now I'm driving away in the car in the morning to go to my office and that might feel scary. We haven't been apart. And I always come home. We are safe. We used to do this before and we can build in, make some strategies to help kind of ease that separation anxiety, but we've got to talk about it. I think that's all this rambling. What I'm getting at is we just have to talk about it as much as we can. And we have to process, you know, that it was different and now here we are and it's, you know, we're getting used to it and it might not feel so yucky, but it's still not great. We we just, our baseline is, our tolerance is a lot lower and we need to speak to that. We need to acknowledge that especially telling our children, like you said in your, in your reparation talk with your daughter, like I'm, you know, I blew, I flipped my lid. I lost it. I'm just feeling really stressed because, you know, I was supposed to go back to my office and now I'm working from home again. And you were supposed to go to school, but your classroom got shut down because, you know, the virus and I'm just so frustrated and I just lost it. And that was not your fault. And we have to tie that together for them to remind them it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. This is hard for me too. You miss your friends and you
0: miss your grandparents. And and we miss our village as parents. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I have always said it takes a village. And I think something, if we're just so busy and overwhelmed, we forget that we can call each other oh, and we can yeah. text each other and say, Do you have time to talk later? There are so many times that I forget. And then later I'll call one of my friends and I'll be like, Let's talk, because working mom in a pandemic is killing me. It's kicking my butt right now. Let's talk about it. How's your life doing? How are you managing that support that has been so meaningful to me when I remember that I can even talk to people because we feel like we're just alone in this <laughs> box of a house. Yeah, I think, you know, you get
1: so, I think we're really good. I don't know if what it is, but I think instinctually we just kind of curl in under our, in our little turtle shell and you can poke your head, you know, you can make the phone call, you can go sit outside six feet from your friend, you know, you, you can do certain things, but we just like, I think we're, we're scared, you know, honestly, you know, probably just feeling like any, any, any time I, any minor poke and I poke my head out, it just feels, is that okay? Is that okay? You just doubt yourself so much. And I hope that, and I think a lot of people are having to do a lot of work on that, that anxieties are high and our kids are going to have to learn to cope. People need access, and thank goodness for Nick Finnegan Counseling Center for providing. I'm going to plug y'all here on your own podcast. Um, that you know you provide access for these people who, because it, it is the hardest time in a lot of people's lives right now. A lot of people, like <laughs>
0: majority of our country. Yes. Oh my gosh, so important right now. Therapy. My, I, I everyone, everyone needs therapy right now. It's just because we just yeah. need that support content. We just need that person. That's a regular check in. So that we can, because we're so stressed, we can't even check in with ourselves. How, how having time, you know what? Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that, that's what I like about, you know, having my therapist on the schedule is that I can, I have them They're They're a place that I know I'm going to get that break. And that's what I was going to say is like setting yourself, adjusting your expectations, setting yourself up to have a moment, a moment to, you know, recalibrate yourself. But with your NFCC plug, which thank you very much, um, I did want to talk about just how do you know when you need to go seek professional help? What does that look like? And on the other side, you know, what does it look like when your child needs help? Their behaviors are just beyond your scope or your resources. And what about for yourself? When do you seek help for Of rage or depression or all of those things, how do we how do we know that? Well, I think it never hurts. So if you have the means,
1: dive in. And the worst thing that's gonna happen is the therapist can say, I think you have a lot of good coping skills. I think you're all right, you know, and then that'll be great. Or it'll just be wonderful. You will again have that on the schedule, that new time that you can work on yourself and help yourself. And and I think if you're asking the question, if you're saying, you know, do we need to get help? that's probably when you should, right? If you're thinking, especially, and if you're looking at your child and think, I don't, I don't have a grip on this, you know, then let's reach out. That's why I started, the, again, another one of the, the reasons I started was to provide kind of a stepping stone for parents so that they can call me and have a conversation. And I can say, I do think it's time that you seek some consistent support for your kiddo and for you. Um, or we can just have a chat and I can say, you're doing a great job. Try this, this, and this, and then move on. But for our kids, Again, it never hurts. And I think if you're wondering, is there something more I could be doing? It never hurts to reach out and ask somebody. Um, It never hurts to dive into some play therapy. Our kids just love it. It's amazing. And I think it's a beautiful gift you can give to yourself and to your child. You know, like, you know, it's potentially for your child, you know, quote unquote, your identified patient, but the parenting support that goes, that should go hand in hand with that is Paramount and wonderful for you. You know, you get tools, you get someone to talk to consistently, and then you take it home and you apply it, and everybody feels really good. It, it's so helpful. It does not hurt. And it's a beautiful gift you can give to your kiddo and to yourself. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, testing, you know, diagnosed, getting developmental evaluations, and it never hurts. All it's going to do is teach you some wonderful things about how your child's brain is operating and you know if there is some you know inattentiveness or if there is some anxiety or if there's potentially like you know a language delay you know anything like that it's just good information so it never hurts to have that info as a roadmap their childhoods are so short, so precious, so fleeting. Like let's not waste our time worrying about it or kind of winging it when there's a lot of support and a lot of access to information and resources that you can make it feel good for everybody. You know, wouldn't that feel better? I don't think you'll ever regret looking for help ever. And if you, you know, you call me and we talk and you don't think it was helpful, then I'll give you, I'll refund your money, you know, whatever. But I think, I think I think it never hurts to ask for help. It's just hard to do for some reason. We just can't do it.
0: Yeah. Well, just making time. You have to put them first because they buy you time. Yeah, exactly.
1: And you know, you, you're you going to blink and your kids are going to be 15 and you're going to think, oh gosh, you know, they, they no longer think we're the smartest people in the room. They like their friends better. and You know, it gets harder. And like, again, there's, there's, there's so much out there for you. There's, and it's, you know, money is tight and time is tight and all that, but. You can find the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center and they can help you out.
0: Yes, yes. And Amanda's wonderful. I've heard you know, I've heard from people that have worked with Amanda, how life-changing that you are. And yes, I have, I have heard that. And um, I believe it because you're wonderful. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm going to wrap it up here. I thank you so much for being here. I think this was so valuable to so many people. And just if anyone's looking for help, understanding how they're parenting or help understanding their children or what they can do to connect more with their children break tots takeabrektots on instagram um go find amanda and yeah so thank you so much again well y'all take care thank you so much i'm so excited
1: for your new project and thank you all so much for all the important and beautiful work that you do in our community we're so lucky thank you
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. Please let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and subscribe if you want to hear more of our content around managing mental health across the lifespan. If you would like to learn more about our work, events, and organization, please follow us on Instagram at Nick Finn Council or on Facebook at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center. NFCC is here because counseling matter. Special thanks to Jim Roman for composing our wonderful intro outro music. Until next time, remember to make time for your mental health.